Welcome to the Granary Church podcast. We're happy you could join us. For more information on the Granary Church, head to granary.org.au or follow our socials at the Granary Church. I went to see with my daughter the other day, Cinderella in Sydney, put on by Opera Australia. And two years ago, when we were sitting in yet another lockdown, and I was scrolling through things on my computer about Opera Australia came up, I think, I wonder what will happen when all this is over. And I saw Opera Australia costumes and prop sale. And I went to Theo, who was who's our writer and director. And I said, we should go to this. And he said, I haven't written it yet. But he had the concept. I said, well, we can have six people. We can be in the big warehouse for one hour. And uh, we have to wear masks. And you have to sign in only a few people at a time. And so we went down. He told us the story on the way down. And we just went for it. And we got to the just this plastic table at the end with piles of stuff. And people who've seen the costumes know that when I see Opera Australia, I think, well, we got costumes from these guys. And then our amazing sewers copied them to fill it out. It's quite amazing. But we got to this, uh, they're putting the things through and we got to $800 worth and it was a massive pile. And I thought, oh, I can't spend any more. And then I saw what was left over there and the work that went, like one of those dresses apparently has 100, 100 hours of work in it. And I thought, oh, well, we'll do it somehow. Our credit card, darling, sorry. <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> I think he only just found that out now. And uh, so I just said, I will take the rest. I think it got to $1,200 or something. And I said to the girl, oh, it's a lot, isn't it? And she said, actually, I make costumes for Opera Australia and you got about $20,000 worth of costumes there. I thought, oh, that's not too bad, is it? It was an amazing blessing. So God does bless us. Like that was even before Theo wrote the show. So just with the concept. Today, as you can see, we're moving into the book of Acts. And uh, this, this, is an, this is going to be an exciting time. So I just want to pray before we move ahead. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. We come here today, Lord, and we sit here with a lot of things going on in our hearts and minds. Maybe we're weary and tired. Maybe we've got mind thinking of something else feeling inadequate, whatever it is, Lord, we thank you that you're about to speak to every heart and mind and soul in a way that every heart and mind and soul needs right at the moment. So, Lord, I I pray you'll prepare us for that. Help us to clear the cobwebs of our minds so that we can hear you speak and to know that you want to speak to us irrespective of who we are, what we've done, what we're thinking, what we're doing. You speak to each one of us because you love us. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So just to get this in context, the book of Acts, which is called the Acts of the Apostles, which some writers say should be called the Acts of the Holy Spirit because it's what the Holy Spirit actually does because it is far more than the apostles is what happens in this book. But this is actually written by Luke. Now, we've gone through three of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Oh, sorry, we've, we haven't done Mark. We've done, we were going to do Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, but we, uh, we've done three of them and we decided it's time to move on to the book of Acts. And so Luke, he was a doctor. He wrote the Gospel of Luke and he then went on to write the book of Acts. It's important to know that because what you have is, this, as he says, as I'll read it, like this is what Jesus said and did and this is what happened in the second part of the story when everyone started to put it into practice. So it's like a continuation of the story, if you like, and it's the story about 
how followers of Jesus, we call it Christianity today, but they weren't called Christians to begin with. They were called followers of the way. Probably a good idea to think about it like that, followers of the way, and how they all started, how the church actually started and how it actually changed the world. And it changed the world in more ways than you and I who sit in this nation can actually understand. If you've come from a nation that wasn't founded on a Judeo-Christian ethic, you will understand it more. There's so much that whether you're a follower of Jesus, whether you believe that he even existed, uh, whether we think that or not, the foundations of our nations are built on this, the teachings of Jesus and the power of the Holy Spirit to change things, and everyone reaps the benefit of it right now. So things like innocent until proved guilty come from Jesus. You just think that's normal and rational and logical, but it's actually not. There's so many things in the world about kindness and forgiveness that our whole country barracks for. Whether they're Christians or not, everyone says, you know, we need to we need to think more of the poor. We need to think of refugees. There's always people out fighting for that, whether they're Christians or not, because the gospel, this good news, has been proclaimed and people understand that it actually changes the world. And so we sit living from the benefit of it. But Mark Sayers from Melbourne says, what we want is the kingdom without the king. You want this beautiful kingdom without following the one who created it all. And uh, you and I, as followers of Jesus, don't despair how many people are in church at the moment. Look at your calling to bring this good news into the world wherever you go because wherever you go, conscious of the Holy Spirit, you bring his blessing into the world. Think of it like that. Don't think of, um, am I poor and marginalised? The first Christians didn't think, oh, poor us, we're only little. They thought, empowered us. What am I called to do? So don't have a victim mentality. Have a winning mentality and see yourself as here to serve the people of our world, of our community, of our nation. How are you called to serve? This is how they saw it. And so it goes like this. In Acts chapter 1, we're just doing Acts 1, 1 to 8, just the start of the story. And Luke writes this, In my first book, I told you, Theophilus, about everything Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven after giving his chosen apostles further instructions through the Holy Spirit. Okay, so the first book is about everything Jesus did and taught. We've been looking at that all year, so we should be fairly familiar now with what Jesus did and taught. But it didn't finish there, and this is incredibly important because I believe there's people in churches today who are still just living with knowing what Jesus did and taught. And a lot of people can know what Jesus did and taught. You can, there are people who've studied the entire Bible and they know what Jesus did and taught, but they actually are not followers of Jesus. It's not a, that's not a moral statement. That like saying, do you have an Australian passport or not? If you, if you have one, you have one. It's not because you're superior to anyone who doesn't have one. You just have an Australian passport. And then it says, during the 40 days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time and he proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive. This is incredibly important. The fact that Jesus died and rose again is what is the beginning of the change of everything because he defeated a power that no human being has the power to defeat and that is death. 
and he and he stayed. So he stayed on the earth, and we don't often talk about this. This gap between when Jesus died and when he ascended into heaven, he actually stayed on the earth for a time, talking to people and teaching people. There was a whole ministry time that happened, and he's actually proving to them for a very important reason that he was alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. Once, when he was eating them, he commanded them, Do not leave Jerusalem until the Father sends you the gift he promised, as I told you before. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. John baptized with water, but in just a few days you'll be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Okay, so John's baptism was a baptism of repentance. Now, when you heard the word, hear the word repentant, you might think of it as being sorry for something that you did wrong. And we say they did this and they're totally repentant. Okay. It's it's actually far bigger and more profound and yet simpler than that. Because repentance actually means a change of your mind. Now, if you think for a moment, before we move on, just think about your life today and think about things that happened during the week that have made you tired and weary, things that you were disappointed about, things that didn't quite work out. Think about things that you're worried about for the next week or for the future, things that you're not sure how to work out, relationships you're not sure how to work out, money situations that you're not sure how you're going to work out, job situations you're not sure how you're going to work them out, or things that are incredibly important to you that you just feel like you can't lose, your status somewhere, your your image somewhere, your relation. And even though that sounds um, vain, we all go through this. So think about all these things your um, inability to do something really, really well. And when, think about those things. Okay, has anyone got things in their mind? Is anyone sitting here today thinking, no, nothing, nothing, totally happy with last week, yesterday, today, today and tomorrow and I don't have a single care in the world. Is there anyone? Because if there is, you go out on kids' ministry and send all the people in there so that they can, uh, they can be here. So, okay, so we've got those things. And all those things weigh heavily on our minds. And repentance is this. You throw them all to the Lord and he exchanges it for something else. That's not always easy to do. Because what if he doesn't do things the way that you want him to do them? What if he has a slightly different plan? Basically you are saying, I'm no longer striving and struggling by myself, living for myself. I'm no longer trying to meet the deepest needs of my heart. I'm no longer trying to solve everything. I am turning to you. So Jesus is saying you turn away from trying to control everything by yourself, good and bad. So I'm saying it's not just about what you've done wrong. It's about self-reliance all the time, thinking I can do it. I've got the ability to do everything and turning to him and he says, and then you will be baptised with the Holy Spirit. Now this is why we've called it the game changer. This is the game changer. And this is way out of our depth and comfort zone. Because actually, how do you do that? How do you get yourself filled with the Holy Spirit? And there's only one way. It's actually giving up. So that actually you give everything over to him, all your cares, all your worries, all your dreams, all your desires, all your hopes, and you say, here I am. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. So sometimes we can say, oh, I've been baptised with the Holy Spirit, which is just like a badge of superiority. It's actually a badge of I gave everything up. It's a badge of humility that you're no longer relying on yourself. And you know what? That's not easy because we do love ourselves and our own abilities. And to give it all up and to say, 
I just want to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, who is this? The Holy Spirit is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit of God the Father and God the Son. It is the power of God and it is the nature of God. It's both those things. It's his power and it's his nature. So some people just want the power without the nature. You've got to have the power and the nature of God. If you Truly, this is why you have to really humble yourself before God will fill you with his Holy Spirit because an arrogant person filled with the power of God is a dangerous person. Because if you have the power of God but you are still self-focused and think everything you think is amazing, you're very dangerous. So you can't be moving in the power of the Holy Spirit because uh, imagine using the power of God without the nature of God, without being able to listen to the voice of God. You have to come in humility every day to be able to use the power of God that he's entrusting you with. You have to come with incredible humility and not thinking you know everything, but doing what even Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing and I only say what I hear the Father saying. And if you want to be filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be someone who would get on your knees metaphorically or physically, but particularly in your heart, and say, here I am, I surrender everything to you and I'm totally dependent on you, <laughs> totally dependent, because you've been given, entrusted with the power of God. Truly, we have to be humble before we're trusted with the power of God and truly to see it as an amazing gift that the one who beat the power of sin and death would fill you with his own personality, with his own voice, with his own character, with his own nature and the same power as we read in Philippians and Ephesians, the same power that raised Christ from the dead, that same power will now dwell in you. Oh my goodness, that is, it is actually mind-blowing. And yet we run away from it because we think, well, we can't get our minds around it. And we, tr- we run away from things that we can't get our minds around. And in this situation, if you want to be filled with the power of God, you need to come and say, I don't understand it and I'm not worthy of it, but I surrender myself to you because I see Jesus. I see what he did through all those Gospels. I see how he embraced the poor and the marginalised, how he healed and restored people, how he um, fed people, how he calmed situations. I saw the extraordinary things he did. I saw his incredible love poured out on the cross. I saw his power and miracles, his grace and mercy. And yes, I want to be like that. I want to be like that. I have to recognise that by myself I am not like that. And then you can be filled with the Holy Spirit. But the apostles still didn't quite get this. So they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come to you for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? And he replied, the Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times and they are not for you to know, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So it's basically one of these prayers. You know the sort of prayers that you pray or the sort of prayers I pray. God, if you would change all of this, I'd be really happy. Anyone ever prayed those prayers? Because I I prayed them. If all of this would change in my life, then I would feel satisfied in you. If everything please God, so you go into a lot of prayer, even prayer and fasting or prayer meetings, that God would change everything so that you would be happy. And this is what they're saying. It's just the same prayer. It's like Israel's living under Roman domination and they're saying, yes, Jesus, at last you're going to change our outside circumstances and you're going to give us a new ruler and everything's going to be okay. That doesn't actually mean anything. I went to China once, actually in 1992, it's only a few years after the Tiananmen Square massacre there. And we had a guide and Graham and I were talking to him one day and we said, asked him about the 
Tiananmen Square. That, and he said, oh, I don't know what you're talking about. Oh, oh, must be a language barrier here. So I explained it a little bit further. You know how all the students were sitting out in Tiananmen Square for a month and all the tanks rolled in and they were shot. He goes, oh, that didn't happen. Oh, no. Weird. We just won't talk about it. And then he came up to us later and he whispered, it did happen but I can't talk about it. And he told about another tour where the guide talked about it and that person went home and wrote an article about it for a newspaper and with the man's name and that man disappeared. Never saw him again. But what he did say was, you know, we got rid of the emperor and we got a president and nothing changed. So you can get a new government and nothing changes. And so they're asking, look, could we get rid of the Romans and could we just run it ourselves? And Jesus is saying, and you reckon that's going to change everything? Just different ruler is going to change everything? Because history proves that is not what happens. Jesus is saying, this is how we're going to change the world. Anyone who wants to do it can be part of it with me. This is what we're going to do. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon you and, get, and your heart and your mind and your nature will be changed. That's how the world changes. A new person in leadership doesn't change anything. It's individual hearts and minds that are changed, that fill with the Spirit of God. That changes everything. So when people are filled with the Spirit and they start to become like Jesus, when they start to operate in the power of God, that changes everything. So rather than changing everything externally, God is saying, I'm going to change you internally and then you will go and change things. I will give you the power to go and change things. And that's actually what they did, far more than any of us ever do. But this is what we're called to do. So you notice, if you, you'll find out in a couple of weeks, but I'll just jump ahead for a little bit. By the time you get to Acts chapter 3, so we're in 1, in 2, the church is birthed, people are filled with the Holy Spirit. By Acts chapter 3, two of these guys, John and Peter, going to the temple one day and there's a man at the gate who is crippled and he asked for money and they said, we don't have anything, but what we do have we'll give to you. Now what do they have? The Holy Spirit, that's right. They have the Holy Spirit and they have the power of the Holy Spirit and they say, we'll give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. But they didn't go over. So you imagine that Josh here is the, uh, the crippled man and, uh, and I come to him. Now, what we would do today is we would say, dear God, please make him strong again. But they actually went over and said, get up and walk in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, that's a scary thing to do. Why is that scary to do? Because if I go over and I say that to Josh and he doesn't get up, I'll say, oh, God didn't want it. God can be my scapegoat. Okay? But if I go over and I just say, get up and walk, I am so convinced that the power of the Holy Spirit is in me. So convinced. And so I think that we as followers of Jesus have become an impoverished group of people who aren't moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. And we try to find ways to discount that so that we can say we're okay. Where I would say God would want us to do what he's about to tell these disciples to do, to just go and sit in the upper room and wait and pray for something to happen. And they did that. Because we can spend a lot of time trying to discount. I, I had a group of young adults once in my house quite a few years ago and we were talking like this about something and one of them said, why don't we see the power of God moving more these days? And I started to give a really lame, false theological reason. <laughs> I'll say what it was now. Well, you know, sometimes this and this. And as I'm saying this, I'm thinking, you just sound really pathetic at the moment because really what you're saying is not scriptural or biblical 
because if you look at the scriptures, the power of God was moving all the time. And I said, actually, guys, I don't know. (laughs) I don't know why we don't see the power of God moving more. Let's all pray about it. So we all just sat there in in my lounge room. There's probably about 20 young adults there. And we just said, Lord, we'd just love to see your power move. And we prayed about that. And there was... um, I was sitting on, a lo- on the lounge with a couple of girls beside me and there was one girl like, there's people lying on the floor and one girl was just lying on the floor as we're praying near my feet. And um, she's still in this church now. She's married with children in this church. And I suddenly looked down as they're saying, come Holy Spirit, do something. And I noticed that she was, um, she started to twitch and some of you will find this really weird and freaky, but it wasn't. Um, she actually needed deliverance and this whole group of young people prayed for her to be delivered from some spirit of darkness and it was an extraordinary thing that happened. And she started to scream, but my son Sam, who was there, just been li- reading about this, said, no, that doesn't have to happen. He said to it, you be quiet. Like, it was extraordinary what happened that night. And she was delivered. She sat up. They all started laughing and someone came to the meeting late and she walked in and she said, oh, hi, everyone, what's happening? And they all burst out into hysterical laughter and it was just like that, wasn't it, Josh? Phoebe was asleep on the floor there because she was little and he ran her off to bed and the power of the Holy Spirit came because... We got to a point of saying, we don't know why and I'm not going to rely on my own intellect anymore. And I'm not saying that will necessarily happen right this second. What I'm saying is that um, stop getting rid of our arguments as to why God doesn't move the way he wants to move and let's be honest and say, we don't know why he's not always moving, but will we avail ourselves of the power of the Holy Spirit so that he would move in whatever way he wants to do? It might be through his character and his nature. It takes his Holy Spirit to bring grace and forgiveness into a circumstance as much as it does power to deliver and heal. But if you notice, what Jesus taught his disciples to do was to cast out demons and to heal. And uh, we don't even like to talk about that too much. But the thing is, there are powers of darkness and you filled with the Holy Spirit have the power over those powers of darkness and it can be very, very simple. And so Jesus says, don't start praying about these outside things. Pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So basically he's saying this. You've watched me being raised from the dead. So what are they witnesses to? This word witness, the the Greek word for it is actually martyr. And think, how can martyr mean witness? And that's how the word transformed because to begin with they were witnesses and they were such powerful witnesses that they ended up being put to death. So that word martyr actually means witness, but they actually got put to death because people were saying this can't be true and they said we just know it's true. And so you can't tell us it's not true because... It is true. They saw the whole, they saw Jesus raised from the dead. And so Jesus began a thing that started then where, okay, the first group of witnesses are going to know truly that I was raised from the dead. You're going to see my power in that. And then you will be filled with the Holy Spirit and you will continue to take this message that Christ was raised from the dead. This is good news because he's beaten the powers that destroy this world and now you can be filled with his resurrection power and you can take that power into the world wherever you go. That is the good news of Jesus. And he says, and you'll be my witnesses throughout Judea in Samaria, Jerusalem, Judea, in Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Now, 
you and I can just say, oh, yeah, that's really nice. But that wasn't really nice for them because Jerusalem and Judea are fine because they're like Jewish people who think like them. But what about Samaria? They're the Samaritans who they've been told they're not allowed to, as Jewish people, they're not allowed to mix with them. They didn't even walk through Samaria in case they touched a Samaritan. Now Jesus is saying, I'm going to fill you with my power and you're going to go to this weird group of people who all your life you've been taught are bad and you're going to bring this good news to them. And guess what? They are welcome to receive the good news just as much as you very religious so-called good people. That's a bit scary. So if you want to understand how that is, think of the group of people that you wouldn't touch, who you think, "Mm, no, no, they're too far gone. They'd have to change a lot before I would, um, before God would love them. You're probably called to those people. That's what Jesus is saying. You're called to go to those people. So that's one to eight. And uh, this is an amazing thing that's happening. And this good news of Jesus actually started way back in Genesis, Genesis 22:18. We read that this is what God said to Abraham, and through your descendants, all the nations of the earth will be blessed or because you've obeyed me. Because through you, and you now become the descendants of Abraham. And it's like, go, if you go to Galatians, shows this, you've got the Old Testament talking about the blessing coming through Abraham's faith. And then in Galatians, the good news is tied up with that, where it says, what's more, the scriptures look forward to this time when God would make the Gentiles right in his sight because of their faith. The Gentiles are the people who weren't the religious Jewish people, everyone else. God proclaimed this good news to Abraham long ago when he said, all nations will be blessed through you. That's a profound thing. And it says in Galatians 3.14, through Christ Jesus, God has blessed the Gentiles with the same blessing he promised to Abraham so that we who are believers might receive the promised Holy Spirit through faith. So the blessing, the blessing that comes into your life that changes your life and changes the world around you is the Holy Spirit. That is the blessing. If you have fear and worry in your heart, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. If you're feeling like you've reached the end of your tether, you need the Holy Spirit. If you don't know how to fix up your relationships, you need the Holy Spirit. If you're worried about your finances, your job, the people that you love in your world, you need the Holy Spirit. You need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need to be praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. You need to have your faith expanded because when you have the Holy Spirit, you don't just have power, you have faith. You actually expect good things to happen. If you're expect, not expecting good things to happen, you need the Holy Spirit. And you don't just need him just now, you need him every single day. This is the game changer. Otherwise, you just fall into following a set of rules. Um, Buddha actually came 500 years before Jesus. And this is what Buddha had his, the eightfold path of life. And this is what it consisted of. A knowledge of truth, the intention to resist evil, saying nothing to hurt others. Respecting life, morality and property, holding a job that doesn't injure others, striving to free one's mind of evil, controlling one's feelings and thoughts. Practicing proper forms of concentration. Don't do to others what you would not want them to do to you. That's what Buddha taught 500 years before Jesus. And 100 years before that was Confucius who taught high moral character and what he called the gentleman and he, and he said, what you do not wish for yourself, do not do to others. And it sounds really good and it, and it is good because every person wants to be like that. Truly there's something in us that knows we want to, we want to be like this. 
But the Apostle Paul explained our human condition when he says this in Romans 7, I've discovered this principle of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. So you read those things about the Buddha taught, yes, of course you want to be like that, but we don't have the power to do it. You know, this, and this is the game changer with Jesus. He pointed to the right path. These guys, in a way, were pointing to Jesus. It's not that people don't want to be like that. It's that people don't have the ability to be like that. And so they point to Jesus and Jesus says, you will receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you will be my witnesses. And so what we then have is this amazing God who not only knows what we need, but he wants to fill us with his very being so that we can be like that. And so people would, we would become his witnesses. People would see his power in us and people would see his nature in us. They would see our lives become a witness of his power. Signs and wonders follow those who believe, the scriptures say. And people would see his nature so that we would become loving as he is loving, forgiving as he is forgiving, tender-hearted as he is tender-hearted, kind as he is kind, pure as he is pure. Paul said of Jesus that he was the image of the invisible God. And Jesus said, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. And in Hebrews we read that he is the express image of God, of his person. So let's pray. We'll ask the, um, the band will come back up. But just take a moment to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Just have to wait on God. You can't do it. This is the thing. There's no 10-step formula to be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a good thing. So just let's close our eyes for a moment. If you like, just you can just put your hands out the front. That's just a symbol of saying, I am ready to receive. And perhaps you've never received the Holy Spirit. Perhaps you've received the Holy Spirit and you've been following Jesus for a long time, but we can always say, fill me afresh. So I invite you to pray in your hearts and minds as I pray, if you want, to surrender. And you can have a conversation with God. You can ask him questions. You can say, Lord, what do you want me to get rid of today? What do you want me to surrender to you? What do you want me to think and say and do? And we say, repent, Father, of thinking we could do this ourselves, of being so full of our own ability that we didn't realise our inability to be fully alive. And so we surrender to you in repentance and we say, come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh. We empty ourselves of everything of ourselves and we say, fill us with your character and your nature. Fill us with your power and your love. Fill us with grace and forgiveness. Where there is forgiveness needed, Lord, and we can't find it ourselves, fill us with that forgiveness. Where there is faith needed and we cannot work that out ourselves, fill us with faith. Where there is hope needed and we cannot find it ourselves, fill us with your spirit of hope. Where there is torment in our minds, we speak peace over every troubled mind today by the power of the Holy Spirit. Say, come Holy Spirit, fill us afresh and use us to be a blessing into this world that through us we would truly be witnesses to your resurrection from the dead, that you have defeated every dark power in this world. May our hearts and minds be filled with light and life and joy and hope and freedom that only comes from your Holy Spirit. Come Holy Spirit. 
Thank you for listening to our Sunday podcast. If you enjoyed it, either subscribe or follow on the podcast app that you use to keep up to date on when our next Sunday podcast gets released. Have a safe and blessed week.